great final albums. There's a lot of final albums, but there's not a lot of great final albums. Do you know of a great final album? Well, maybe it made our list. Maybe it didn't. Maybe you'll agree with our list. Maybe you'll disagree with our list. Well, listen in and find out. The KOFB Studio presents Milk Crates and Turntables, a music discussion podcast hosted by Scott McLean with his co-host, Jack Calabrese. Now, let's talk music. Enjoy the show. All right. Thank you, Amanda, for that wonderful introduction, as usual. This is Milk Crates and Turntables, a music discussion podcast, but you already know that because you're listening. We're streaming live right now over YouTube and Twitch. We are on all podcast platforms. If you like this show, let us know. Give us a rating. Subscribe. Apple Podcast is changing up the way they do things, so pay attention to that. But, uh, yeah, if you like us, tell your friends about it. We have no problem with that. Give us a push. Give us a push. Uh, So without further ado, oh, and if you want to get in touch with the show, uh, drop us an email if you have a show suggestion, a comment, a critique. If you want to say something really mean to my co-host, Jack Calabrese, uh, you could just email us at milkcratesandturntables at gmail.com. That's milkcratesandturntables.com. At gmail.com. Don't worry, my co-host, Jack Calabrese, is he has tough skin. His, his skin is actually like leather. It's, it's actually leather with hair on it. So I feel that, would, that would be a cow, wouldn't it? I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, without further ado, let me bring on my, here we go, the amazing, the one, the only, the impeccable, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Every week they get me, and I every week I say nope. Let's just bring him on, Jack Calabrese. Hardy ho! Oh Lord, should What's we? What's going on, man? We want to start that over again. Come on, it's all it's good. Live. It's live, so you got to nothing. What's going on, buddy? Oh, a little of this, little of that. Getting excited. You know what? You know what this weekend is, don't you? Uh, let me know. So what, what's the, the record store that is closest to your home? Oh, okay. Okay, I go to the um, the record rack in Pompano Beach. Okay, how far is that from you? That's about a 15-minute drive, 20. I could probably find one closer, but I like that one. So new and used? They, they yeah. have new releases? Yeah. On Saturday morning, there is going to be a huge line out in front of that place because Saturday is record store day. Ah, what's the uh, what are the releases this year? There are so many different releases. Uh, Lady Gaga, Joe Strummer, uh, Def Leppard live. Um, there's a bunch of you know old blues and and jazz things. Um, there's a U2 picture disc. There's a Janis Joplin picture disc. You can go on to the website recordstoreday.com and they actually have the full list. 
And I think it's a couple of hundred. But the, the thing that's crazy about it, you know, that the line is actually going to be filled with a, a couple of people. First and foremost, it'll be 99.99% men. <laughs> right. There's there's not a lot of ladies that that jump in line because men are just idiots. Now, the, the line of these idiot men are going to be comprised of complete audiophiles, you know, people like yourself and myself that really appreciate those type of things. And then there'll be a bunch of people mixed in that are intent on buying them and almost immediately flipping them on eBay for five times the price. Yeah. So the, the challenging thing is you got to figure out what is going to be the big money ticket items if you're in it for the, you know, the money, so to speak. Uh, because the, those things and, you know, it's not terribly difficult to figure out which ones are going to be the most sought after, the more popular ones. And, and you have to understand that some of these are limited runs. They may have only printed 500 copies or maybe 1,000 copies. And then there's some of them that are 8,500, 1,000, I mean, uh, 10,000, 12,000 and whatnot. So kind of kind of an interesting thing. They do it twice a year. You know, if you're big into vinyl, there's some really interesting and neat stuff. A lot of colored vinyl, a lot of picture discs, a lot of special editions, a lot of live stuff. You know, like you got the alarm last year or earlier th this year. So it's a lot of stuff like that. So kind of a cool thing. Yeah, Record Store Day always is a cool day. I'm glad they, they kind of came up with that concept. And I remember around when it first came out, it really didn't have any legs because people weren't really – buying vinyl and I, that was the intention of record store day was to get people to go to record stores and buy vinyl yeah. and i think it's uh it's 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 caught on and you know what uh, I, I wish i wish that we were in specifically located places because there are bands that really get behind record store day yeah like you know when it first started out like pearl jam played in just this random record store in seattle Right. You know, Dave, Dave Matthews set up and played in a record store, you know, you know, people all across the country. The artists really kind of supported the independent record stores and and um, really pushed it. And it, it's really grown. The list has grown. The artists that participated have grown, you know, tremendously. And again, you know, for for if you're a collector, or if you're really into some of those kind of obscure or interesting things that you may never have heard of before, it's kind of a, a fun thing to do. I wonder what the Joe Strummer album is. Is it with the Mescaleros or is it just some like tracks that they found of his? That I think it's one of his solo albums. I don't think it's a Mescaleros record, but I'd, I'd have to go back on the site. That's a great it. documentary. Yeah. Joe, Joe Strummer, you know, it, I was on, uh, there's a couple of uh, Facebook sites that, that are music related, you know, you know, people that love vinyl, that one. And somebody posed a question on it. Like what, celebrity death or what musician death hurt you the most or impacted you the most. And for me, it was definitely Joe Strum. It broke my heart. Yeah. Like Phil, Phil Kelly, uh, he, he's going to get another mention soon in the show, which he always does. He texted me and basically he said it was like losing an old drinking buddy. You know, I think that was, that was, that was wonderfully put and, and very uh, on, on, on spot for that. Yeah, he, well, he's true. But you know who really the, – the, and I know this isn't the topic. The topic tonight is great final albums. But uh, this might have been this guy's final album. <laughs> Actually, uh, the one person that affected me, like I was really like absolutely bummed out, devastated, was when I heard – I was at work. 
I was a printer for Fidelity Investments in downtown Boston, and I was listening to BCN, and they announced that James Honeyman Scott died yeah. from the Pretenders, the guitar player. I that fucked me up. Like I'd never been devastated. Like I'd never been hurt like that, or I never felt like I literally just stood there in shock. Like what? Because I was a huge Pretenders fan. That, like I said, we've talked about that album numerous wow. times, and I know we have a tendency on the show to 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 talk about you know albums repeat certain albums, but there's certain albums that deserve to be repeated. You know, people might think we're being redundant with certain albums, but the, these albums, there's a reason you and I will continue to talk about them because they serve different purposes, these albums. So when he died, I was just like, that's it. That They were going to be bigger than they ever were, even that they, the, any heights that she reached with the, you know, the second band. He was, he was not just a guitar player. He was an important component of that band. He was the melody guy. Oh, and he was a monster, monster guitar player. So I, I totally hear you. And having the opportunity to actually see him play live, and he was, you know, so young, and it was so, you know, just, just ridiculous yeah. that that you know somebody with that much talent really kind of, um, you know, wasted wasted opportunity, drug overdose, you know, just same old story. And they, they, they say they say like, oh, if you had a chance to see a band, uh, who and everyone always goes like, oh, I want to see Pink Floyd in '74. You know, I would have loved to have seen that original Pretenders lineup. I just would have loved to have seen that. It's, and, um, you, know, you, you, you mentioned you mentioned him first, but Phil Kelly and I went to that show together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys told me I saw them with the second band. I saw her with the with the you know the the. And I believe Robbie, at the Mac, end of Robbie the show, McIntosh, Robbie yeah. McIntosh on the third. Yeah, and I believe at the end of the show, actually, I, I know you didn't get to see this, but Chrissy Hine flashed. She she dropped her draws and and flashed the crowd. Like I don't I don't remember that. Yeah, at the end, she kind of draws. She like kind of bent over and kind of pulled down her pants, and then kind of ran off stage. I'll never forget that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, before we leave quick. this, it wasn't like she stood there and mooned the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, a yeah. Quick, you know, Be before we leave this too far, but just you know, you talk about that being an important album. You know, certainly to to us. Um, just you know, a somewhat recent story. So you know, our good friends John and Laurie Watkins. You know, uh, both you know musicians have made their um, their their livelihoods, their their music, and have really, really had a, a great and successful career, both playing live and you know teaching music, and it's their whole whole world. But with the fifteen hundred, two thousand albums or whatever they have, you know their daughter Janessa had her birthday, and I actually was going down to Winthrop for a couple of things, and they did not have a couple of records, so. I brought Janessa for her birthday, uh, Patty Smith horses. Wow! And I brought her, and I brought her the first Pretenders record. There you go. And I I wrote on the card because you know she's a big Harry Styles, you know Taylor Swift, and I I wrote on the card like you're probably not going to like these right out of the gate, but if you listen to them a bunch of times, you will absolutely fall in love with these records. Yeah, yeah. That that first Pretenders album does not have it's a perfect album. Like I say, perfect album to start to finish. So. Okay, let's get into tonight's topic. Best, great final albums. It was, I think we were originally going to say best final albums, but uh, best is subjective. And in this case, these are great final albums. This is these are the albums that the bands 
that was it. Now, there's some gray areas here. Sure. But that sure. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about those. So uh, let, let me jump off on the first one. Maybe this might be the greatest final album. Um, argue, it could arguably be the greatest final album from any artist. And that would be uh, the Jimi Hendrix experience, Electric Ladyland in 1968. Now, there's a gray area in there because, as they say, and, and I'm just going to quote this, um, it gets messy trying to figure out Jimi Hendrix's final album. Band of Gypsies, a 1970 live LP, without his longtime backing band, The Experience, uh, it does fig- it does feature new songs. So that's kind of you know a funny thing right there. Um, then there's a lot of albums that came up, but Electric Ladyland, I mean, you got All Along the Watchtower, which has uh, Brian Jones on percussion on that song. Yeah. Um, then you have, uh, let me see, what else? Burning the Midnight Lamp. Uh, you got Steve Winwood and uh, Jack Cassidy from Jefferson Airplane team up with him on what song? Uh, I will say Crosstown Traffic. No, Voodoo Child. Ah, that was my second guess. Yeah, yeah. Was, I, was, uh, I was trying to pick between those two. Yeah, so you got the Jefferson Airplane bassist and you got uh, Steve Winwood playing on that song, right? So kind of looking a little different now, right? You didn't think it – you thought it was just him, right? Um, no, the, the, you know, that, that that was back, at, you know, in the day. I mean, it was really kind of a cool thing that they all kind of played with, with one another. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Today you'll see – like you'll see groups like older videos from the '90s. You'll see uh, Sugar Ray and maybe some guys from Limp Biscuit and Corn in like a, a, an orgy video. You know what I mean? They were all yeah. friends. They all hung out together. Orgy being the group, not 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 the sex act. Okay, for all those people that aren't into '90s music or went into that style, so they'll hang out in videos today, but they never they never really collaborate. You know. But Electric Ladyland was um, Jimi Hendrix's first and only number one album in the U.S. And it was his final album. You know, we, we've said this before about other artists. I think one of the, one of the cool things about Jimi Hendrix is, is that, you know, absolute icon. You know, people not only listen to him, but there are people that are obsessed by him and study him and whatnot. And you look at it. How, how long was his career? Wasn't I mean, you know, in terms in terms of his his solo albums, right? What be, the solo album that he released first, you know, or with the experience, to the time that he died was what three, four years? Yeah. So I mean, what, short, short period of time. He he What's died. That? He died when he was twenty seven. So what? Yeah, he, he was, was part of the twenty seven club. Yeah. So he was what? Yeah, he did started when he was like twenty three, right? Yeah, when he started, you know, when his, I'm not, I don't know his, his, uh, you know, timeline, his timeline, but well, so, well, uh, are you experienced? Actually, came out in what what I regard as probably the greatest year in rock and roll history it was 1967, the summer of love. 
So that's what that's when the when the experience for us came out. And again, you know, three, three and a half, four years, whatever it was, was he was gone. Yeah. And the funny thing is, and not that not that it's funny, but far more releases from Jimi Hendrix posthumously. He's got so much. He was so oh, prolific. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, what? Cry of Love, right? That was mm -hmm. one of them. Uh there's uh yeah, there, there was a lot of posthumous albums that came out, but technically his last album would be Electric Ladyland. Yeah, and oh. you know, exploring different things. Like he wasn't really playing with the experience anymore. He was playing with with, you know, different different uh different musicians like, you know, Buddy Miles, you know, uh definitely definitely more of a, a funky band, you know. He, he when he started out it was more kind of the English guys. And then he moved into guys that were playing American blues and funk and that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. He was the, uh, he had the, uh, the, the influence on Miles Davis too. Uh-huh. Absolutely. You know? So do you got anything? You got an album or you want me to pick another? I'm not ready to leave the, the Hendrix thing yet. Oh, okay. So here, here's my question for you. And, and this kind of deviates from our topic, but it, it kind of doesn't. Who does the best version of Voodoo Child? So there's there's really only two versions, right? There's really only two versions, and and you can't tell me otherwise. You have the the Jimi Hendrix version, and you have the Stevie Ray Vaughan version. Now, that is <laughs> that that's a. That's a fucking coin flip right there, buddy. <laughs> um, well, the, yeah, I think we both can uh, can uh, admit that they're both brilliant. Oh, uh, you know, and you and you gotta you gotta give credit for you know the original, right? The originator of it. You you give credit for the original, but you gotta think how much how how big were was Stevie Ray's balls to even take that song on and make it his, give it his slight little you know, influxes and tonal changes, maybe. Uh, it wasn't an identical version. Uh, it it might have been cleaner. It might have been a little cleaner, but that song is, talk about, okay, talk about great intros. Yeah. Oh, we we completely missed the boat on, on that one last week, right? Um, so I have to, uh, I saw I saw Stevie Ray do it live, so uh, I'm, I'll just say Stevie Ray Vaughan. I, 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 I don't I have think to. I don't think I it's can it's it's absolutely close. There's no question about it. But you know, I'm, and I've had the the benefit of actually seeing him live as well. But you know, maybe it's the technology. Maybe it was you know the the recording or you know whatever it is. But he was just. He was another guy like Hendrix that when you watched him play, it was effortless. You know, it was like he wasn't even thinking about it. It was just flowing out of his fingers. I mean, just absolutely, incredibly amazing. And, you know, the guitars that he used and the gauge of strings that he used, I mean, he was just incredible. And there, I still listen to some of the live versions of Stevie Ray Vaughan playing Voodoo Child, uh, particularly the one from Carnegie Hall. And one of the things that makes me laugh almost every time I listen to that track, when he finishes the song, he goes, it's fun playing Hendrix at Carnegie Hall. I always <laughs> love that. Right. I always love that. So his last, his last album wasn't, wasn't it, was, is that the one with his brother, this 
What, what was the name of the album? Yeah, the the Vaughn Brothers. Family I style. Think, family style. Yeah, I, I think that was actually released after he died. That was released in 1990. Family style. So it was it was on or around the time that he passed. 91. The sky is crying. Uh, so that that was kind of the outtakes, and there's you know yeah. while we're talking about Hendrix, I mean he does another great great Hendrix song. He does an instrumental version of Little Wing. Yes. Does a great version of Little Wing. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, uh, Scott, the IT guy, uh, wants to, he, he, he just messaged in, uh, a gentleman, good evening. Nice to hear some artist names from 20 years ago. Well, no, tonight, try 40 dipshit. Well, I think he's being, we, when I mentioned corn and, and, and those groups, uh, I, I think though, seeing the, the, um, the, the, tonight's, episode of great final albums the topic uh you'll see one from 20 years ago and let's just jump right into it uh one of the great final albums of all time is nirvana in utero right great great record um you know try trying to depart from the you know the fame of the of the big you know classic Smells like Teen Spirit wanted to get away from that and have a, a darker album. And it is a dark record, man. Well, as I say, he was famously displeased with his band's grunge-defining opus, Nevermind, right? Yeah. So he plotted a weird or less predictable course for uh, their third in their final album. Um, and what did they have on uh, – Penny Royalty, Royalty, uh, Apologies, yeah, Rape Me, Rape Me. Yep, that they had to change the, uh, you know, change the title, and certain stations wouldn't play it until. What did they change the word to? They changed the word "rape" from to "hate me." Right? Is that what they did? Yeah, they said that he had on the radio, and it was "hate me." Yeah, because it was a little too. touchy touchy subject so but you know serve the servants is is a great tune um you know all apologies great tune. really the whole the whole album is good yeah heart-shaped box i mean they're you know fantastic band it still breaks my heart i mean i mean the cobain death hurts a lot but and i think i've told you this and i apologize if i've told you this but up in my attic in a footlocker in a uh shoebox in an envelope tickets. are four unused Nirvana tickets. Yeah. yeah. Still yeah. kills me. <laughs> um, well, go, the, the, it's not 20 years ago. It might be 30 years ago, but we'll stay in the 80s, I think. Um, and this is a very uh, uh, niche, it seems, uh, group. It's They're well known, but I don't know how well listened to him. I know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of frauds out there that, that claim, oh, I'm a Smiths fan or I'm a Morrissey fan, and you know they all uh, they, they all want to jump on a bandwagon. And, but uh, the Smiths, uh, Strange Ways Here We Come, is a great, great final album. I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's regarded as as they're one of their definitive albums. Uh, if the, and for Smiths fans, um, they'll know the track listing. 
a rush and a push in the land is ours. I started something I couldn't finish. Death of a disco dancer, girlfriend in a coma. Stop me if you think you've heard this one before. Last night I dreamt that I love someone, uh, that somebody loved me. Unhappy birthday, which I love that. I play that. I'll send that out to people. It's a very demented, disturbing. It's Morrissey at his best in the deep, dark, like lyrical genius that he is. Uh, unhappy birthday. If, you, if you've never heard it, go, go play it on YouTube, play it on, on any streaming service. Unhappy birthday by the Smiths is a phenomenally insane song. It, it's just, and then you fit, you got to uh, paint the vulgar picture, death to one's elbow. And I won't share you. It's a great final album. Great, great final album. But uh, you know, those guys bummed me out. Those guys are fools. They're idiots. They're brilliant. They should, they should have they should have reformed and played again. They don't have to like each other. They don't well, even have to go on on like tour, you know, with, with one another. But those guys made great, great music together. And I think that they're gonna get to a point where they're gonna get beyond their touring ages and they're gonna regret that they didn't get back together and play. I don't think Morrissey regrets anything. I think Johnny Mars happy where he is. I think they 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 lived it. And they move on, just like Rick Ocasek said, I'll never do it again. Uh, David Burns said, did. But he did. Rick Ocasek did it again. Well, he got them together in the studio. They didn't go out on tour together. You know, yes, they did. Did they? Yeah. De- Deb and I actually saw them. So that, that was, you know, post, you know, Ben Orr, you know, passing. And I think the. Which right I think there. That was, I think that was 2011. Two, 2011, they played, they did a tour and they played uh, the House of Blues in Boston. And they were great. You know, it obviously it wasn't, wasn't the same. And, you know, they, they were never really the most exciting live band. I mean, they were technically proficient, but they weren't jump around, yeah, scissor kick. They were, they were you know, they, they got up and they played their, their tunes. Like Hall and Oates, you can sit way in the back and you're hearing the same music as the people up front. Pretty uh, much. So David Byrne, David Byrne said he'll never do it again, and, and he's he's done with it. You know, there's certain artists, you know, that, you know, that just that's it. And Morrissey has more records in his in his uh, solo career than he, than the Smiths did. And I just, I, I believe me, I, I would love to see them get back together, but there's too much damage done. There's, there was lawsuits, uh, you know, writing you, credit. You, 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 you got to give him credit for for one thing. I would imagine that time after time, whether it's the people at Coachella, you know, or, you know, any of the festivals that take place in Europe, that they've probably been offered millions, tens of millions of dollars to get back together for, you know, maybe even one show when they've never taken it. No, uh, Morrissey is a, he's, he's one of those guys, man. He's, he's a man of principle. He just doesn't he's want to. He's not a man of principle. He's just cranky. <laughs> He's cranky. And like Johnny Marr, Johnny Marr, if he really wanted to, Johnny Marr could call him and say, even if it was just like Page and Plant, you do Marr and Morrissey or Morrissey and Marr, they could have done that. tour. Yeah, they could have done that. But Morrissey, he's like, oh, that's it, you know. And I wonder. Yeah, but, you I wonder- know, Morrissey's got, you know, those guys, I mean, they they don't. You know, if, if if somebody is offering them, you know, look, we're going to give you forty million dollars or whatnot. You know, people like Johnny Marr and Marcy, and they they're not like Mick Jagger rich, but those guys don't have to worry about money at no. all. 
No. I mean, what, what's Morrissey's got to be worth? I mean, I, you can probably look it up, but he's got to be worth, worth 60, 80, 100 yeah, million dollars. Probably, probably around 60, 80 million. Yeah. Yeah. And again, he he's just that guy. He's that guy. If he wanted to do it, they would have done it. It you know. still would have been very cool. To well, be again, once the lawsuits, again. once the lawsuits came, yeah. then that was it. He's like, then we will, I will never, because that left, that cost him money. And, you know, him and Mar were the typical lead singer guitars writing songs and no one gets credit and, you know, but them. And it's, it's, it's an age old problem in, in, in groups. So who else you got? What do you got? Any of them? I, I actually, so do you want to hear my ultimate or do you want to hear one that, that may be somewhat controversial? Let's do some controversy. My, so my, my pick for one of the greatest final albums of all time is also their first album, which is the Sex Pistols record. Never mind the bollocks put out. And Scott, you're going to love this one. 44 years ago. It came out in 77. Yep. Check my math. I think I'm right. Yeah, but you know, there, there's there, here's a band that you know track listings, you know, Holiday in the Sun's Bodies, No Feeling, Liar Problems, God Save the Queen, Seventeen, Anarchy in the USA, Submission, Pretty Vacant, New York, and EMI. Twelve tracks that rocked the world and changed everything. And those those guys kind of staying true to the punk edict, the punk spirit, where. The band absolutely fucking imploded after that first record. They did uh, just a horrible tour of the United States. They didn't try. They wanted to kind of live up to that punk reputation, and they never put out another record again. Not really. Now, here's where the controversy comes in. You know, you can give them credit for only releasing one record and calling them being very punk. But they got back together in 96 and in, you know, 2001, you know, so they toured a bunch of times after that because that's where the money was. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a purist, right? So you said the cars got back together, but without Benjamin, oh, it's not the cars. It's just not, right? Uh, I'm sorry. Weren't weren't we just talking about the fucking sex pistols? Catch up, will you? Listen. (laughs) Don't. So don't, pay attention, for Christ's sakes. Don't push the fucking button tonight, buddy. <laughs> Not tonight. I'm missing the Bruins game. All right, all right, all right. So, so let's take a let's take a step back before all of that wonderful oration that I just spewed out of my mouth, and let's go back to the cars. What do you want to say? Go ahead, entertain. You're being fucking condescending. Oh, you <laughs> son of a fucker! You fucker. Okay. That's like when you when you're talking to your kid. Okay, okay, I'm listening to you. Okay, (laughs) you want me to hear you? I'm listening to you. Tell me what you have to say. (laughs) That's exactly what you just did to me. Go ahead. Tell me. Tell me about the cars. Uh, Now, for the people that are listening on the podcast, he put his hands under his chin and leaned in. You really okay? Okay, wait. (sighs) Okay. All right. 45 years of friendship. You know, really know how to push the button. So, hey, you, 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 do you know how I just have you heard me say how I describe our friendship? Uh, well, one, of, one of my oldest friends have known him for and been friends with him for 45 years and have been on the verge of not speaking with one another for 45 years. This could be it, people. This could be Morrissey and Johnny Marr going their own separate ways. This could be our final album. 
You do have the guitar again. <laughs> so how do you describe our friendship? It's just like I said. You don't oh, see it, attention. No, no, no. Well, the way that I describe our friendship is I've been I've known Scott for 45 years and we've been great friends for 45 years and on the verge of never speaking to each other again for 45 years. Different on opposite yeah. ends of the spectrum politically, you know, on, you know, different topics on polar opposites. And we've had a couple of knockdown drag them, drag them out, you know, brawls, you know, either through social media or even <laughs> back in the day. Yep. Yep. So. Getting to, oh, okay, wait a minute, Scott, the IT guy says, damn, Jack talks to me that way all the time. Now I realize I've been talked down to. See, Scott, the (laughs) IT guy, be on Team Scotty over here, not Team Jack. Mm -hmm. Team Scotty, I got your back. I got your back. I will never disrespect Scott, the IT guy. Like Jack, Scott, I can talk talk to you any way that I want because you might be the IT guy, but you're not the it guy. Oh, oh, jeez. Did you really just? All right, we really went off track on this one. So let's get back to it. So the cars going on tour were not the cars because Ben Orr wasn't there. The Sex Pistols getting back together without Sid Vicious. It's not the Sex Pistols. He was an intricate. It's not true. He was a personality. He was. uh, He had a gigantic following. He had his own following. It was without him. It's not the original Sex Pistols. It's not. They went on. They went on. See, this is an idiotic statement. They went on tour. The guitar player, I mean, the bass player for that tour was Glenn Matlock, who wrote most of the songs on the first record. Right. So it's not like they went out and they got a hired gun. And the, and the thing about the, the car show. It's not show, vicious. I'm a purist. I told you that. I'm, it's not. Yeah, it's but, but if you're a purist, you're going to go to the original band, which was Glenn Matlock. Right, but Sid Vicious was the Sex Pistols. You had Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious. If you ask anybody, anybody, who name two people in the Sex Pistols, who are they going to say? Johnny Rotten and Glenn Matlock? They're going to say Glenn Rotten Matlock and, and Paul Cook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I mean, I just, I'd want to see that lineup. I'd want to no, see the it, lineup. It, it, and you know what? I would, have, I would have loved to have seen that lineup as well, but they came nowhere near Boston. Not that I've ever would have been, been able to go in 1977. No. And you know what? To, to, your, to your point, and, and this probably goes for both the Sex Pistols and the Cars, you, you, you probably had some people say, look, it's not the original band or you're missing key members or whatever the case might be. And I was like, yeah, I, I get that. But, you know, back when I saw I saw that Sex Pistols tour, it was like 96 down at Great Woods with Stabbing Westward and some other band I can't remember off the top of my head. And I was like, look, for 26 bucks or whatever it costs, I just want to hear those songs live. Yeah. It was it was fun, you know, it, and I and I get it. It was they were grabbing the cash. But to be able to see as close to the original yeah. band as possible yeah. and to be able to see them live was was a real thrill. I see that. I see that. I learned my lesson, though. I should have fucking known better and, and waited out in the parking lot. And talked about this, I think, in episode four. Uh, I learned my lesson by seeing the unoriginal band when I made the mistake of – it was two years ago because there was no concerts last year – seeing Alice in Chains back up Corn, who, I'm, again, I'm going to see in August. Um, and Alice in Chains without Lane Staley was – I just was – Jesus, they suck. Don't waste your time. 
Don't buy the oh, hype. Wait, what don't. about, and I, and I don't even know if you're a fan of this band. Would you ever go see Guns N' Roses? As a matter of fact, uh, the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino right down the street in Hollywood, Florida, uh, they did a pre-sale. Uh, I got the the message for pre-sale tickets. They're going to be playing there. And no, I won't see them. Because no. you're a purist. I'm a purist. I'm a synthite. Come on. So you're learning a lot about me that you never knew about, you know. <laughs> Like Cynthia synth- Lauper. Synth- <laughs> uh, okay. So, but, but, you know, getting back to the Sex Pistols record, you know, again, the reason why I picked it in great first and great last album, uh, again, in, in some way, whether they intended it or not, it's really kind of a testament to that punk spirit. And that was it, folks. You got, you got one and done. Yeah. And you know, that's it's not, it's not that like it- the, it's not like the Ramones that put out record after, and I love the Ramones, uh, but they put out record after record after record after record and just kind of, you know, exhausted their welcome. Why? Because they all sound the same. Almost like all of the ACDC records. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Yes, they do. <laughs> you're a, you're just a, you're on me tonight. Okay. Yes, I am. <laughs> so uh, let's go real quick. This one doesn't really need a lot of talking about. Uh, maybe, again, one of the great final albums. Well, let, let me just read the track listing, okay? And uh, it starts off with uh, The Changeling, then Love Her Madly, Been Down So Long, Cars Hits By My Window, L.A. Woman, La America, uh, Hyacinth House, Hyacinth House, Crawling King Snake, The Wasp, Texas Radio, and The Big Beat, Riders on the Storm, Orange County Suite. That's that's a bomb last album, buddy. It's a great record. No, no question about it. You know, they they the the Doors had gotten themselves into a lot of trouble. Actually, more specifically, Morrison had gotten himself yeah. into a lot of trouble. With that concert that was just in a freaking mess down down in your state of Florida. Yeah, in Miami, right down the street. Yeah. Where he supposedly exposed himself. Which he did. Got arrested. Yeah. And he was he was in real trouble. You gotta remember, you know, very different time down in the south. You didn't tolerate that stuff, especially hippies from California. You know, this is the, the height the the height of the Vietnam War and you know the folks down there trying to keep the young kids down and whatnot. So they go and they record LA woman. And when the record gets released, you know, Morrison, I think was already in Paris at at that time. And um, I think Ray Ray Manzarek actually said that one of the last conversations that he had with Morrison, that Morrison had asked, you know, how's the record doing? You know, Manzarek told him that everybody loves the record. It's, you know, doing really great. Riders on the storm, lover madly, big, big, big hits for that record. And Morrison ended up passing. They never really got to play it live. No, they didn't. They didn't. Um, so that's a great final album. Let's get into a little. I don't know if this is it's controversial. Maybe it is. Is it really their last album? Uh-huh. Who's the Beatles? Abbey Road. Oh, it, it is. That are you kidding me? That, so it, when when you actually suggested this topic, that was the absolute first record that came to mind because that is the greatest coda final statement of of that band. Now I get it. 
people are going to say, well, wait a minute, Let It Be was the their final album. But the reality of it is, is that Let It Be was actually recorded prior to Abbey Road, and it did not go well. I mean, it was one of the, the things that really helped break up that band. You know what it was originally called? The Get Back Sessions or Get Back? Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, what what helped break it up too was was the new manager came in, and that didn't really McCartney didn't like him, so that didn't help either. Yeah, there, I mean there were there were a lot of things. I mean, look, you you think about look, I was probably like everybody else in the seventies and early eighties, where like, oh my god, you know, the Beatles broke up. It's the biggest tragedy in music that ever occurred, and they need to get back together. And you know, obviously, they never did. You know, once John Lennon was murdered you know that was that was the end of that <clears throat> but you know what i think i think going through like youtube and listening to the different interviews from the different stations like the dick cavett show you could get an understanding of why the band broke up first they had been together for what you know right around 10 years recording music and then prior to that playing in hamburg and whatnot that's a lot of time to spend with three other guys and all of the adoration and all of the pressure and those guys worked and worked and worked and worked. I mean, they were absolutely prolific and they wanted to do other things. They were now, all it would have been, it would have been really, really cool if they said, you know, look, we're just going to put the Beatles on the back burner and we're going to go do our thing. And Hey, maybe we'll get together. Maybe we'll do a song here or there. It would have been nice if they could have let the door open or left the door open a little bit. But I think that Abbey road is the consummate final statement of that band yeah if it wasn't for phil specter fucking lunatic let it be never would have been let it be it would that, that get back he came in that get back album was uh a mess it was just a mess and he brought it together even john lennon gave him credit he said that never would have happened without phil specter coming in and, yeah. and phil specter always wanted to do a beatles album he always wanted to produce a beatles album well you know his personal life is one thing, but his brilliance as a producer can never be, you know, uh, uh, can never be taken away from him. And no, 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 no question. And and you're you're right. Lennon, you know, gave Spectre a lot of credit for being able to pull that mess together. And it, and it was it was um, McCartney actually didn't like it. He hated all of the strings, especially on the Long and Winding Road. But, you know, you can't argue with the fact that The Long and Winding Road was a huge hit for them, you know, in really a great song. And it's not like they didn't use strings be before. Wasn't that the last song they recorded ever? The Long and Winding Road? Yeah, it was It was recorded. That was the last one. That was the last song, supposedly, that they ever recorded. It was, and then it was put together in the album. Like, it was the last song that they did in the studio. Then that was it. They were done with the album. And you, you might be right. I can't argue with you, but I I'm not saying it was it was meant on purpose. Like, oh, let's do this farewell song. Yeah, people like to think that. I just think it was the last album that was put together that they did on, and it was. I think that's the lot the last song on the album, isn't it? On, on, let, on it be. let it be. Isn't it the last song on the album? On let it be. Yeah. It, I I think it is. But I think the thing that that I'm looking up is I was under the impression I was under the impression that everything that was on Let It Be was recorded, and that all of the songs on Abbey Road were the last songs that they had recorded together. Oh, okay. I mean, I, these are these things that you pick up over the years, and you think, 
But I mean, neither here nor there. Let's get into <laughs> let's get into a good one. I love this album. Okay, I love this album. I think it's one of the greatest final albums, uh, and it is Synchronicity by The Police. Shit album. Here we go. No, it's not. It's not a shit album. I, I take that back. <laughs> But that you know that band had changed so much over over their their short career. But go ahead, tell me why it's a great record. Well, first of all, if you look back at it, I'm surprised they made it five albums. <laughs> they made yeah, it. Yeah, they they were a vo- they were a volatile band, made worse by the fact that Sting, in my opinion, kind of stole some of the writing credit. You know, got all of the attention. Lead singer. Well, good every, looking guy. Every breath you take, the the the, the riff, the tune was created by uh, Andy Summer. Yeah, but who got credit for writing the song? Right, and and Sting actually, and and, and Stuart Copeland really really holds that against Sting that that Andy Summer now he gets Sting gets all the money for that song. Andy Summer doesn't get any credit. Fight. He doesn't get any money from that. Sting gets yeah. all the money from that song, and it wasn't even and he wrote the lyrics, but. It's usually like Jagger and Richards, you know. Uh, you can go down the line, uh, Tyler and, but, but, and Harry, right? So, so, so wait at, a minute. Let's let's be clear. Andy Summers gets paid for you know the songs that are on Synchronicity, including Every Breath You Take. You know he gets he gets royalties for playing on the record. Sting gets all of the publishing in the oh, record. I, that, which, that, oh, I know, I know how which which is, which is a lot a hell of a lot more money. But I, that's I what I'm know, talking about. That, I mean, I want to I, I know from Scott McLean why you love that album and what songs you like about it. Uh, what songs you like and what you like about those particular songs? It's a, first of all, it's a unique album, right? It's a unique sounding album. You know, every breath you take, wrapped around your finger, synchronicity, one and two, right? I like how they how they kind of start the album off and end the album off, right? King of Pain, Tea in the Sahara. Uh, Murder by Numbers on the cassette only, right? Yep. That, that, which I loved the fact that they used that because the 80s was a cassette decade. They used that as a selling point. You could only get Murder by Numbers on the cassette. It wasn't on the album, right? So, And, it, it, and you know what? Because it, because it was more difficult to get, people really loved that song. But did, do you like that song? I, I do. I thought it was a, a fucking very clever song. I thought it was simple. It was simple. It wasn't their usual complex you know arrangements uh but it was just very you know and and sting kind of tells us can you can you do that again right at the beginning it's good stuff right there yeah see see you got your guitar if you were there if you were there you would have offered that to sting you would have taken it you would have got nothing maybe sting stole that from me how do you know how do you know right you don't know Maybe he stole it from me. And that's because that's the beginning of the song. But anyways, um, it's just a very unique sounding album. It was separate from how they, you know, their other albums. It was like, you could see that was the, that was, they grew through each album. Their their sound grew, their, their, their style grew. And it just, the apex was synchronicity. And I think they hit it right at the right time. What are your top three songs on that record? 
I like um, King of Pain, wrapped around your finger, and I actually like Tea in the Sahara. I like that. It's kind of a nice. It's a. It's a different type. It's very mellow. It's very, you know, very mellow. So it's it's done. I just like it's it's a nice break in that album. But they're they're all good songs. They're all good. I it's, mean, even every it's, breath it's you a, take, every breath you take is. It took you a thousand listens to finally say, "I'm sick of this song." Right? You didn't get sick of it immediately. It's like it took you a long time to get sick of that song. Right? It may have taken you a long time to get sick of that song. <laughs> and it, and it, you know, I'm not you know what, and I'm not even picking on the song, but I remember how much it got played on radio and on MTV. It was an because heavy, people wanted to hear it. Heavy rotation. That that's you know what we we talked last week about you know great opening riffs and and riffs that you hear that make you turn the station immediately. That was me pretty damn quick. Really? I like Damn that. right, fella. <laughs> Did you just call me fella? Really? <laughs> what the fuck? Anyway. Hey, you deserve fella, Mr. T in the Sahara. <laughs> What's the matter, jealous? A little bit. Okay. It, it's, it's, a, it's a good record. It's not my favorite police record. I like the older, punkier stuff. I can appreciate the, you know some of the songs. The songs that I like on it... Um, you know, walking in your footsteps. I like, you know, yeah. oh my God, I like, you know, a lot. I like the stuff that's that are, that's probably not played as as much. You know, I thought King of Pain was great. It was particularly good live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we all saw that show. Flock of Seagulls, The Fix, and The Police. Yeah, that's right. Alvin Stadium. That was that's a long, hot day. It was a long, long, hot day. But it was fun. It was fun. All those groups were at their they they were at their peak, you know. The Fix, uh, they have a they had a, a little small little five five good songs in their set, you know. Four if you if you listen to them, other than uh, you know their the hits on the radio, and then you know Flock of Seagulls, they had a couple good songs, you know. Absolutely, and they were great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, let's. Uh, so you do like synchronicity? You do or you don't like it? I, I I think it's it's a fine record. It's fine. Okay. All right. What do you you got? A, you got anything? You got any other albums? Yeah, I was I was just looking up uh, you know the track listing for it, and, they, and this is one that you know most people probably you know don't don't know uh, or didn't really care about, and that's that's REM's last album called Collapse Into Now. So Collapse Into Now was a record that they had made. And with the full intent that that was it, they they knew that they were you know pretty much done. Like and Cream they wanted to make Cream did was that. that. Like huh? Cream. when Cream said, "This is our last album." That was their last album. Goodbye. They named it well. So yeah. go and they they never came. They never went back. They never, you know they got together for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing. But go on. I'm sorry. Well, they, you know, so Collapse In and Now, um, you know, I could list the tracks. Nobody's going to know these tracks. You know, right. Discover, All the Best, uh, Uberlin, Oh My Heart, It Happened Today, Every Day is Your Days to Win, uh, My sm- uh, Mind Smell Like Honey, uh, Walk It Back, Alligator, Aviator, Autopilot, uh, Antimatter. 
that someone as you, Mr. Marlon Brando, Marlon Brando Blue, and Discover, um, which was kind of like the the coda in the track. But I think it's just an underrated, great record and a band that had kind of lost their way for a little bit. You know, R.E.M. was a, you know, great American band, you know, you know, really uh, deep, deeply entrenched in college radio, kind of came up through, you know, IRS and those first like four or five records on IRS are just absolutely fantastic. And then they they really went commercial. So, you know, signed with uh, I think it was Warner Brothers. No, it was either Warner Brothers or EMI. And they had those big records with, you know, Losing My Religion and um, Everybody Hurts and Shiny Happy People. And then they they tried to stay relevant by changing their sound. So they kind of went electronic with Up um, and they they really lost their way. And they kind of came back in the last two records. They, they, they tried to recapture their original formula. But by then, the music industry had changed and their popularity had waned they were playing smaller places they weren't able to fill the big arenas like they had at least not in america and they they knew that their time they knew their time had come yeah and they wanted to make sure that they went out with a record that they could really be proud of and and it's a great record it's definitely worth a listen if you're an rem fan yeah yeah but they they flamed out and that happens you know um, there's, a, there's there's another band that broke up and they swear that they will never play together again, which I think is a real tragedy. Again, they did their time, right? I guess bands are funny. They, you know, they they make enough money. The motivation isn't really there, maybe. You know, some of these guys are living comfortable lives now. I just I don't, I don't, I don't understand bands. the what's I don't understand the line in the sand that they say we're never gonna play together, you know, again. Like so why, why would you say that? You know, leave it open. And, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, you want to play a couple of shows? Why not? Uh, you don't know the makeup, the behind-the-scenes stuff. We'll never know, right? So speaking of bands like that, The Verve, I think we talked about them last week. So they, 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 the seminal record was, was uh, Urban Hymns, right, in 97. Yep. Phenomenal. And, yes, I guess – your story was correct. They did eventually. I, I went back and, and I'm man enough to admit when I won't say you're right, but I'll just say I wasn't right. I'll never say yeah, I wasn't totally correct on my version of the story. But anyways, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, in, 2008, in 2008, they decided to give it one more try. And if you're going to follow up after Urban Hymns and they came out with Fourth, F O R T H, right? If you're ever going to listen to a Verve album, you want to hear a phenomenal, phenomenal album. That is a great album. And again, it didn't get a lot of uh, uh, airplay. uh, But if something happens when the Verve get together, individually, they're all brilliant musicians, they're brilliant artists, kind of like a Radiohead, not as technical, not, not as great as Radiohead, but but when they get together, they just they they have this this thing, man. It's it's what makes a band a band, I would say. And uh, actually, Richard, uh, who was it? Um, Chris Martin has said that that um, Richard Ashcroft is the greatest singer in the world. He's right? a great singer. Yeah, and he really is. And people will never know because the Verve never got the the level they deserve to be on 
uh, with publicity, et cetera. But if people want to listen to a great album, this is my recommendation of the week. Go download, go listen to on whatever streaming service you listen to fourth songs like sit and wonder love is noise. That is a, and none of these songs are two minute songs. They're all five minute, five and a half minute, six minute. So you got sit and wonder love is noise. Rather be, is probably my favorite song in that entire album. Rather Be is a phenomenal song. Judas, it's a great song. Numbness, just go listen to the Verve Fourth. The name of the album is Fourth, F-O-R-T-H. I highly, highly recommend it. You won't be disappointed. If you are, email me and tell me I'm an idiot at milkcratesandturntables at gmail.com. <laughs> so I know, I know where it's starting to run out of time. But one one of the areas that we haven't really explored in terms of final albums, and the, and there's a couple of them that I can think of off the top of my head, and those are records by individuals that knew that they were on their way out, and I mean mortally. So you have um, Warren Zevon that recorded an album called The, the Wind, that um, one of the tracks on it is you know Keep Me in Your Heart for a while, which is just a very a yeah, real, touching, touching song. Yeah. A really, a real, real tear, tear jerker. Yeah, I yeah. mean, what, what an interesting experience that must be knowing that, you know, you're making your final statement and uh, knowing that this is going to be, you know, your epitaph to it, to a certain extent. And another one, and I know that I talk about them all the time, but you know, Queen's final studio album with Freddie Mercury innuendo, he knew that he was really, really sick. And they worked hard and tried to, um, you know, get that record out. And he could only he could only sing a little bit at a time and had to go and lay down. I mean, it, it was it was laborious and it was painful and it was really hard for them. But Innuendo is a great, great record, a great Queen record, aside from the story, aside from, you know, Freddie passing and aside from that song being littered with, you know, him knowing that uh, his life was going to end and questioning his own mortality and everything else that goes along with that. Uh, but just musically, it's a great, great record. Yes, yes. Uh, All right. I, th- I think Lou, Lou Reed, same thing. There's probably a couple of them. You might even make the same argument with the, the latter Johnny Cash records. You know what? We'll, we'll pick up like we always do. We'll, we'll, we'll clean up this week's show at the beginning of the next week's show. And, you know, there's always things that people, you know, forget. Like, I think we did, did – did we did we did we talk about the the um from last week's show intro, intros right did we uh, talk about because I, I, I had some that some people uh, emailed me we, uh, we didn't they, we didn't uh, talk about it at the beginning of the show we did or didn't we did not yeah so I just want to get these in because I told these people they emailed me and I and I told you so Jay Giles must have got lost from the live album blow your face out. Right, that's that's the intro with Rapunzel, Reputa, Reputa the Buda, Reputa the Buda, the dying little hell. Let me climb up the ladder, you love, right? Hey, that's pretty good. See, see, I got talent. You can play the guitar. See, it's like Morrissey and Mar. See, see. I'm not getting back together with you. <laughs> Sorry, I don't and care then, how much uh, money they. Our friend Phil Kelly is fourth mention in tonight's show. Uh, he he sent me uh, Steve Miller Swingtown, right? So. Steve Miller has some interesting intros. If you go to his greatest hits, there's like five songs. Got, he was like, he's the king of intros. He knew yeah. how to make an intro, right? Oh, yeah, he did. 
And then probably one of the uh, best uh, uh, intros of the 80s was uh, Alan Parsons' project, Eye in the Sky, right? Ding, 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 ding. It became, yeah, well, the, the Chicago Bulls made it famous if people didn't hear about it because that was their entrance music, right? Yeah. Uh, and that was Alan Parson who produced Dark Side of the Moon. That was him channeling that I need that money again. <laughs> he really channeled that. So listen, we got we let, let's let's go a couple minutes over. I have some questions for you. Ask your questions, young. I'm going to ask you some questions. I got a question. Okay, I got a question or three. I will um, ponder your question. All right. You st- if you start in a band, you have a choice. Who would you start your band with, Jimmy Page or David Gilmore? David Gilmore. Why? I think he's a better guitar player. Really? Than Jimmy Page? Yep. Uh, all right. That's your answer. I, I might. I might. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying it like I'm wrong. You gave me no, a no, choice. No, 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 no. I, I wait a minute. Say- wait a minute. You gave me a choice. Music is subjective. Okay, you're right. So, oh. you know, and you know, and you know this. This is a loaded question. We've already had a discussion about about Led Zeppelin, right? <laughs> and I do think that Jimmy Page is a is a great guitar player, but he is a sloppy guitar player especially live. But would you say that uh between Jimmy Page and David Gilmore, well, while David Gilmore is tighter and more technical and he's cleaner, that Jimmy Page would be a great front guitar player to start your band. He's flashier. He's, you know, he can, he's an outstanding guitar player, one of the greatest in the world. He's, he's an outstanding he's, guitar player. He, he, whereas David Gilmore is kind of that, you know, kind of in the, in the cars mode. I wouldn't put the cars and Pink Floyd in the same conversation other than this. Trust that. Um, but so, okay. I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying. I, I might go with David Gilmore too. I think I could say he, I, I think he's a more technical uh, guitar. And, he's, and they, he, I think he writes better songs than Jimmy Page. So. Ah, uh, see, I don't. I'm not sure that I agree with you there. I think that Jimmy Page is a better songwriter than David Gilmore. I will pick this up next week. Next, next question: uh, What makes you like a song? The melody or the lyrics? The singer or the singing? You know that the funny thing, and and I am answering your question. As much as I love music, and as much as I know about music, I am not a lyric guy. Like, I I know lyrics, but there are songs by Led Zeppelin or or even Pink Floyd that I've been listening to for 40 years, 50 years, right? And I couldn't tell you what the lyrics are. So I would have to say that I'm more of a music and melody guy. Well, that that's that's a segment in a show that we could talk about. Maybe we'll we'll do a, a hodgepodge next week and one of the topics will be songs that you fucked up the lyrics on for 20 years until you realized you were singing it wrong. I, I can answer that question right now. All of them. So, okay. So you're a melody guy. I think if a song doesn't catch my attention in 30 seconds, which is usually the melody, uh, then I'm I'm pretty much not going to give it a chance. So that okay. Third and final question of the night: What's your favorite music video? Uh, okay. I you know what. I have a particular fondness for uh, U2's Gloria. And, and the reason for that, that that was the very first video that I saw on MTV. Now, there's there's a ton of videos that I love. Um, I'll throw I'll, – all right, so I'll tell you my favorite you, – yeah. you're probably going to be surprised by this. My favorite music video of all 
time is by a band called Dirty Vegas. And I think the song is called As Days Go By. I love that video. Okay. So everybody out there, go check out Dirty Vegas as time goes by. As days go by. As days go by. All right. I would say my favorite music video, far and away, the greatest music video ever made. And I used to think it was Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. They sure got MTV Video of the Year for that one. Okay. That's a great. But I think, and there's there's two versions. There's there's an edited version and the uncut version. The uncut version is absolute insanity. It's the prodigy, smack my bitch up. Okay. That video is absolutely, totally, 100% out of fucking control. It goes from everything from, you know, the the edited version. They don't show, like, shooting up the heroin, snorting the coke, getting with the – watch that video. Just watch that video. And the twist at the end is the greatest twist in music video history. It's – yeah, the last 10 seconds of that video are the best 10 seconds. But a very close second is a totally different type of song, totally different artist. It's uh, John Newman – Love Me Again, okay? I don't think I know that song. John Newman's a phenomenal singer. He's like a white soul singer. This guy, got some. he's got some style. He's got a voice. Has he done anything that I would know? Well, Love Me Again. Uh, he, he did a, he's done a couple songs with Rudimental. It's kind of like he's big over in England. He's not okay. really, never really caught on over here. But go watch the video, okay? Love Me Again. Love Me Again by John Newman. Okay, I'll it is it. such a great video in the sense of it's 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 it almost gives me kind of like brings me back to my days maybe with with my friends in a bar and I see a girl and you know they got your back if she's got her boyfriend or you know or you, one of your friends sees this girl and she's with her boyfriend and his friends and like so go and that the twist in that video will have your fucking jaw your jaw will hit the floor. All right, I'll watch that video, and you go watch as days go by. I will, but remember, John Newman, love John me again. Newman. Watch the video. John Newman, love me again. Hey, what about the video for every breath you take? <laughs> On that note, great show, buddy. Great show. It was uh, a quick hour. Yeah, it, it always is. Actually, we went over an hour. So, um, yeah, everybody's with Scott, Scott the IT guy. Give me my outro, man. Why don't I see my outro up on the screen? You want you want hot sauce money and you can't put my outro up on the screen? I'm going to give you five seconds. Scott, the IT guy, usually has the outro. It's there. Ready. It's there. Where is it? 2057. Oh, there it is. Okay. There we go. There we go. My bad. All right. You're still in on the hot sauce money. Still in. You're working your way up the ladder. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. Like, subscribe. And have yourselves a great night. Ah, there you go. That's my man. Scott, the IT guy, saves the show. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs>